welcome to episode 106 of Tea or Books. I'm Rachel. I'm Simon. And today we are going to be discussing should you read the book before or after watching the TV slash film adaptation? And in the second. Yeah, pithy. Um, and then the second part, we're going to be comparing two novels. So M- Margaret Kennedy's The Feast and Grand Canyon by Vita Sackville West, which are both set in hotels. So there we are, Simon. Um, how are you? What are you reading? Hi, I'm good. And we've got Rachel back. She's back. So for, thank you so much to Arwen for the last episode. I don't know if you listened to Rachel, but she was very good. Um, I haven't yet, but I plan on doing so. Yeah, thanks for, ju- for jumping into the breach of my general uselessness. <laughs> You're just very in demand. Uh, not that Arwen isn't, I'm sure, made space in a very busy schedule. Yes. Um, I got some lovely feedback. I don't know if Arwen had, saw that, but people people said that she was the co-host I always deserved. No, I've made that up. But um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. Um, I What am I reading? I... I'm listening to Anthony Trollope's autobiography. Oh. Although now that I say that, I think maybe I mentioned that in the last episode, so I shouldn't talk about that. I've been doing that for a while. Um, I will instead say that I have just finished a collection of stories by Edgar Garrett called Suddenly a Knock at the Door, which I really enjoyed, uh, which they are translated from Hebrew. He's an Israeli writer. And I think I was sent it as a review book in... 2012 maybe and here we go just 10 years later i've read it so they're very short (laughs) stories for the most part um some of them only you know four or five pages Uh, and they're all quite they're often quite surreal setups so there's one called i think it's called unzipped or unzipping which was about a woman who gets cut when she kisses her boyfriend and then wonders why and sees that he has a small zip under his tongue that when she unzips it, turns out there's a different man underneath. Um, but, yeah, but she takes it in a stride. Um, <laughs> and then some of them are like nothing happens that breaks natural laws, but they, they're still told in quite a quirky way. Uh, but the tone is quite plain, which I think makes it sort of keeps it tethered to the ground. So I think if he'd gone for like a fantastical tone, then um, uh, then yeah, it might have all been a bit much, but it's all quite matter of fact, and I really and the stories are short enough that they don't sort of overdo their premise. Maybe uh, mm. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, um, I would say the translator, but I don't remember. There were three of them because it's different stories. So I guess maybe different translators took different stories. Uh, right. but I'll, I'll try. And, I'll put I have actually reviewed it on my blog, stuckinabook.com. So if people want to know the translators, they can go and find them there. <laughs> and now I'm quite, yeah, it was one of those ones where I was like, oh, we're finally reading a book I've had for a decade, but now I'm quite keen to go and find some. He's written quite a few books. Oh, it's always good when you make a, a new discovery. It is, yeah. And it feels somehow more cultural and, f- and fancy when it's an author in translation, where I'm like, yes, of course, it's an Israeli mm. writer. <laughs> um the only Israeli writers I've read before have been like you know Moses so it's (laughs) (laughs) I've got more up to date um and I'm reading The Optimist by E.M. Delafield which again I've had in probably 15 years um not I don't think one of her better known books and I don't think it's been reprinted so I've got an old um paperback of it but it's from I don't know the 30s or 40s so it was one of the very early paperback uh it was hutchinson's pocket library i don't know if you've come across that but they were one of the early paperback uh publishers 
Um, and yeah. every single book they put on the author. So, so real example, E.M. Delafield's famous novel, The Optimist, <laughs> and every single book they refer to as famous. It's like no one's heard of this. Even at the time, I don't think anyone heard of this. Uh, and that's about a man who goes back to uh, a household where he stayed for a bit in his youth and sort of, um, I think it's basically how the father of that household is an optimist, but in such a way that ruins the lives of his children. That's the impression I'm getting. I think it's one of our miserable ones, but with funny lines. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I've not heard of it, so I'll be yeah. interested to see what you said, what you think. Yeah. Um, oh. Yeah, my early impression is it's like mid-tier Delafield. I don't think it's one that necessarily needs to be reprinted, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah. Any mid-tier Delafield is still a good time. Yeah. So, yeah, how about you? What are you reading? Um, well, I've obviously just read Grand Canyon, um, and I have just finished the um the Balkan trilogy by Olivia Manning. I think ah. I've spoken about that before. So I finally made my way through the third book. Um which How did it really, live up to the others? Yeah, it was really good. I enjoyed it. It's sort of um there's a bit more tension in this one because it's like they're in Athens. Well like they're they've been in Greece has been invaded and they really do have to get out on the last boat. So it's kind of really stressful at the end. Um and then it's sort of left because there is another trilogy that follows this one um, uh. because they leave on a boat to um, to Egypt. And so the next trilogy takes up what happens when they get there, um, which I'm not, I'm like, I can't, it's taken me <laughs> so long to read these three. I can't commit myself to the next trilogy yet, but I do plan on doing so. And there's also apparently a TV series with a very, an old TV series with Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson as the, as the two characters I know. Oh so um, a very old, I've seen, you know, like terrible old 80s paperback editions <laughs> with, with them on. So I'm going to see whether I can find that online somewhere to watch. It should be quite yeah. fun. Is this like during the marriage, before the marriage, after the marriage? Yeah, I think it must have been when they were together because it okay. looks it looks like it's probably early 90s, late 80s. I'm not sure. I need to do some more research. But um, yeah, I'm sure it's someone's got it, must have put it online somewhere, mustn't they? I can um, only imagine that Emma Thompson is wonderful and Kenneth Branagh is madly overacting every scene. <laughs> <laughs> As per. As per. Um, yeah, I'm sure that's the case. So I should look that up. And I've um, just started reading Andrew Heath by Stella Gibbons, which we are going to talk about in the next episode, aren't we? Yes, it was one of those things that you messaged me and said, have you read this? And I, if someone had asked me why I read it, I'd have said, well, Rachel said it was wonderful, but it turns out <laughs> <laughs> you hadn't read it. So uh-huh. who kn- no. No. someone told me it was wonderful. Who knows who it was? But thank you, whoever it was. Yeah, well, it's it's good so far. I mean, I'm not too far into it, but I'm really enjoying it. And um, I always like Stella Gibbons books that are set in London. And because I'm, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know where you are. And so it's very mm-hmm. vague, vaguely disguised place names. I'm like, yeah, I know where that is. Um, so it's it's interesting. It's also very autobiographical, apparently, Amber Heath. So it's quite interesting mm-hmm. reading reading it and realising more about who she was as a person and um, how she grew up and stuff. So, yeah, I'm enjoying that. Yeah. And the, the covers of the, in a sort of, you know, quite shallow way, the covers of the vintage reprints of, of hers are very beautiful, very nice to have. Yeah, it's a lovely job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I saw the second Olivia Manning book in a bookshop the other day, and if I weren't doing yeah. Project Twenty Four, I would have bought it. But I'm only allowing myself twenty four books, and I bought two other books in that shop. In, in preference, I had, there were so many I wanted to buy, so I had to w- winnow it down. So I've bought eleven books so far this year. That's good. 
couple like 11 in the last couple of weeks alone um but <laughs> i will i can always lend them to you simon you're allowed to have lens aren't you oh, i'm allowed to have lens yeah yeah i mean yeah. i probably will go back to the shop in um early 2023 20, and <laughs> buy it i'm sure the book will still be there so. yeah, yeah. Well, i'm sure it's been there for years <laughs> <laughs> um right the yeah. first half uh should you read the book before you watch the film is, is the brief version i guess but yeah. um i think it'd be good to start by thinking about times when because we probably have done that way quite a lot but can you think of times and if you can't i've got a list <laughs> of where you've <laughs> seen the film before you've read the book and and then have gone on to read the book the example for me was wolf hall because i had, had lots of recommendations to read it but i was put off by the length um the subject matter mm. and also i read the first like chapter i think and i've got a sort of pathological dislike of books in the present tense um and it's it's written in the present tense and it was also like it was just a lot and i was like oh do you know what i just don't i, I don't understand who any of these people are there's too many people <laughs> they've all got the same name i can't handle it so i gave up quite quickly and then i watched the tv program and it was wonderful um you know uh what's his face mark rylance can do no wrong um so I was like, okay, now I know the story and I know the characters. I can probably, like, oh, I won't have the issue with following the, the book or, like, forgetting people's mm -hmm. names. So I was like, I'll try again. And then I I just loved it. And um, I think I started, it must have been after Bring Up the Bodies had already been written. So I read the first two and then had to wait along with everyone else for many years for the last one. Um which came out during the lockdown which was quite nice really because then that gave me something to do um and it was wonderful and i i don't think i would have ever tackled it if i hadn't have watched the tv show first that's interesting because it's like it's not a book that you discovered because the tv show like you already knew it existed no. yeah. but it just prompted you to yeah yeah to actually take the leap mm. Maybe it feels like less of a commitment to watch a tv show yeah yeah i was trying to think because i came up with quite a few that were classics that I watched at an age where I probably wouldn't have been interested in reading the book so like you know the Pride and Prejudice TV series mm. came out when I was 10 and so I mean some people read Pride and Prejudice when they're 10 but I wasn't interested in reading that sort of thing at that age but I did want to watch it and then obviously later loved it um things you know Great Expectations, Sherlock Holmes those sorts of things um but I guess yeah that's just because i was a child but uh others um i was thinking about um is it called the wheel turns or the wheel spins the wheels oh yes the ethel um ethelina white, Lena white yeah, yeah that i'd seen as the film the famous film version the lady vanishes and in fact yeah. i think i'd maybe seen two different versions i've only seen two different versions of it i can't remember where i read the book in that sequence but it was definitely after i watched the first one uh and that was one that I don't—I don't think I even knew it was a book when I first saw the film, which was being repeated on it. Well, not repeated. It was like a classic film night at our local independent cinema. Um, oh, that's nice. Yeah, which is lovely. I miss living near that cinema. Um, and the book's quite different. I have you read the book? I have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is a little like the whole setup and the character is a bit different. The main plot's very similar, which is that a lady gets vanishes on a train and the the heroine think is the only one who seems bothered that she's disappeared um so sort of classic mystery i guess but very uh 
like the film is quite famous um i think probably more famous well definitely more famous than the book i think people know the book if only only because they know the film rather than yeah. most cases i guess it would be the other way around uh, another example is The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas, which is it's a young adult novel. I think when I saw it, I didn't realise it was a novel, but uh, it's about um, a young black girl who is in a car with a black boy when he is shot and killed by a white policeman who says that he thought the black boy had a gun, which he doesn't. Uh, the sort of incident that we've you know, seen a lot in the news. And uh, it follows from there how the young black girl becomes involved in local protests. And I don't know if it uses the term Black Lives Matter, but it's that certainly that sort of thing. Uh, and I thought the film was absolutely brilliant. I really liked it. And then my book club did the the novel as well. And I don't know if I would necessarily have read the novel, but I also thought it was very good. But it's one of those things where I, I don't know which one I thought was better because... Um, they're both largely about the story and and the perspective on that. I think because it's a young adult novel, it's not going for you know fine writing so much as um, presenting that narrative and that character. And, and both the film and the book do that equally well, maybe. Yeah, I've not seen the film. I have read the book. I did it with my students actually a couple of years mm-hmm. ago when it, well, when it came out, and we all enjoyed it. But um, I guess I didn't bother to read the film because I was like, I've just read the book, so it won't be a surprise for me <laughs> yeah i mean I, th- I think it was the best film i saw that year but i didn't see many great films that year so yeah yeah i think um i'm just trying to think anything else i've seen before i mean i must have as a child watched the jane austen adaptations before i read the books um but i didn't it didn't affect my enjoyment of reading them probably because i'd forgotten the plot by then <laughs> um because you know i didn't get around to reading a lot of jane austen until i was in the quite late teens um mm-hmm. but ordinarily I don't um if I know that I want to read something and something's coming out um so like for example I don't know like if a new adaptation's coming out of like a Russian novel or something that I've not read or a French novel I've not read I won't watch it until I've until I've read it mm-hmm. I do try and, and I do that now but um so I, I'll only watch something without reading the book if I don't ever plan on reading a book. Yeah, I think the sort of things I'm interested in the books don't often coincide with the sort of things I'm interested in films. So I watch a lot of, you know, trashy rom-coms and <laughs> teen dramas and all these. Like I was thinking recently I watched uh, Along for the Ride about basically a coming-of-age holiday romance sort of thing. And I wouldn't dream of reading the novel that it apparently is based on, but you know, <laughs> I'm happy to watch the sort of schlocky, um, <laughs> you know, puppy dog eyes and everything gets going to turn out all right with a few obstacles in the way i wish i think i'd yeah find pretty unrewarding similarly the hating game another one which is you know every moment of it is inevitable and i very much enjoyed watching it for an hour and a half but i'd feel not ashamed but i feel like it was a waste of my reading time to read it so yeah yeah i mean i'm the same i've got bad taste in films and i don't mind admitting it like i've watched, (laughs) watched the hunger games films felt no desire to read the books um I think I have read them anyway for teaching purposes, <laughs> but like I didn't, it, it wouldn't have been like, oh, I can't possibly watch the films until I've I've read the book sort of thing. Um, I think for me, it's it's like if it's a classic novel or something that I think, oh, I should read that. I should, um, you know, there's going to be some benefit for me in reading it. And then I will want to sort of save myself the experience. Um, yeah, I like having the book be 
the original in my head. I mean, as yeah, yeah it's not like I need to visualize it as we, as we know. I don't do that, but um, <laughs> but I want you know, I don't want to think when I'm reading it. Oh, that's not what happened because the plot was different in the film. Yeah, or you know, this this detail was different. But, yeah, well, I think there's you know there's a a difference between watching something from a, a novel that doesn't matter to you and watching something from a novel that does matter to you and that you know you've got a deep connection with book for whatever reason and it's like something that you love and you feel quite passionate about and then if something comes on um a new version of it comes out there can be a kind of reluctance I suppose to want to to watch it um yeah years ago we we did that episode on do we do we want our favorite books to be adapted so a little different but yeah when we I think we concluded that you know well, I can't remember which way we ultimately decided, but yeah, we discussed how it can feel it's something you're really protective of, and it could go horribly mm-hmm. wrong. Whereas no one, yeah. no one cares about you know, along for the ride. No one's precious about that, I assume. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a difference between those sorts of books that are kind of you know, oh, it's really popular. Let's make a movie out of it. You know, like the Girl on the Train and um, that other film that was about a woman who got murdered. I can't remember what it was called. Um, but there's oh, loads gone, of like, girl, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like there's all these sorts of thrillers that they make these kind of cheap and cheerful films of, you know, no one's going to be up in arms because it's like, Oh my God, you trash my favorite book. Um, <laughs> because you know, those are sort of just throwaway holiday reads, aren't they? Um, and the sorts of books that I think are written very much with an eye on a film deal. Yes. I think that, you know, that they've got the, all the twists and turns and a lot of the time, actually, especially with those young adult books that are like, um, you know, like series that are adventure stuff, they're often, the, the film rights are sold and the film's already in process before it's even, the books mm, even come out, mm, you know, mm. so they're, they're quite filmic in their style. Um, but I think what's frustrating is when, for me, like it's classic books and there's just so many adaptations that come out of the same, like for, from the same book. So, you know, you've got like a bazillion different versions of Pride and Prejudice, for example. Mm. Um, and then other books that, could benefit from actually the profile i think of of being um made into something are just ignored for no particular reason yeah i guess it's an it's a money thing isn't it or you know they they want to know they're going to get a number of reviewers and if they put on another pride and prejudice they know that everyone will watch it whereas if they pick you know a book by gone blank of names of any author like a dorothy whipple no one's done that mm-hmm. yet and and they some of them would be very filmic but um yeah, but I do find that this, even those sorts of books, God, quite often people message me saying, or oh, they're, they're adapting this, like, say, The Pursuit of Love. I ended up only watching the first episode because whilst I enjoyed it, I thought, I just, I don't, I'm seldom in the mood to watch this sort of TV show mm. or film. I just want to watch, you know, a comedy or Gogglebox or something when I'm watching, when I'm, yeah, watching a screen. I'm just looking for different things, maybe. Yeah, I am too. Yeah. And I yeah. think sometimes as well, when the story's very familiar to you, it can just be a bit like, well, what's the point? I, I know exactly what's going to happen. I'm interested if they're doing something different with it. Um, or like not in terms of changing the story, obviously, mm, mm. but like if they're, um, you know, they've decided to, to move the timeline around or they've got an interesting, um, I don't know, different take on it or something. That's interesting to me, but to only to a certain extent. I mean, yeah, I found that when I watched Fingersmith by Sarah by Sarah Waters adapted years ago, which had has Sally Hawkins, so you know, amazing actor. But I was yeah. like, I'm getting nothing from this that I didn't get from the book. It's just 
yeah, I didn't see. Yeah, if it's too if it's too faithful, it's like yeah. I mean, we like with Pride and Prejudice, for example. It's like, well, you, you're not going to get better than the Colin Firth and Jennifer Ely yeah. version. So why are you even bothering? Bother. Like, yeah. unless you're doing something interesting, don't bother. But I mean, I have to say, I've seen. I don't know if people have seen the new Persuasion trailer um, that they're bringing out on Netflix. Um, I basically I've seen the memes, but I've not actually watched the trailer. <laughs> okay, well it's gonna be it's gonna horrify you, Simon. Talk to us um, about it. And it's they've done the Bridgerton uh, um, persuasion for some bizarre reason, <laughs> um, because apparently Anne is you know a comedian waiting to come out of her shell, um, and you know it's all got the, all of that talking to the camera, and it's it's sort of flea bagged. Um, uh, persuasion with lots of sort of physical comedy and um lots of talking to the camera and you know all wow. of these sorts of pithy lines that Anne um Anne, has, Anne says and lots of kind of yeah longing looks and um and all that kind of you know stuff to make it all a bit more sexy and exciting it's like yeah but that's not the point of persuasion is it? <laughs> um also done my really thing that really really annoys me is They've put an American actress in the main role. It's not as if there aren't enough British actresses. We now have to listen to someone trying to do an English accent when you could just get someone who's already got one. Do you know mm. what I mean? And they did this with, uh, not always American, but with Jane Austen in Becoming Jane and with Beatrix Potter in Miss Potter and with Virginia yeah. Woolf in The Hours. It's, they're all these you know, stalwarts of English, English writers and they're all played by people who aren't English. Yeah. Although The Hours is a good example of one that I did watch before I read it and I loved both. Yeah, I can't remember which way round I was with that actually, but I did like both of them. Yeah, but again, it's like just to hire an English person. <laughs> I think that's a good example of the sort of book where, of the sort of adaptation where in the book you couldn't flick between the three timelines really quickly. You know, you couldn't have like a paragraph between all three. I mean, you could, but it'd be really annoying. Whereas in the film, you could easily go between shot of one woman to the next woman to the next woman and, and get that idea of the similarities of the three in a way that was different from the book and interesting and i think that yeah that's an example where an adaptation brings strengths that are in film that aren't in writing mm. yeah i think it's nice to have something that you love visualized especially if you're like you and you can't visualize things very well yeah, yeah, yeah. um yeah. and it's nice to have that world brought to life um but it also comes comes with dangers doesn't it because then it's like ah it's not my version um but i think there are there are plenty of books that you don't need to have read in order to watch the films like you know harry potter and whatever i think these days certainly i've noticed with the young children is that reading harry potter is no longer a thing um you know they're oh, not really? yeah no they're not popular you know they've been overtaken by other things kids aren't really into witches and wizards anymore and so, um, but most of them will have watched the films, but they've having watched the films, they've got no desire to read the books. I do think it's a shame because the, the films are quite bad. Yes, the they are. So yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And quite often I'm watching these, you know, as I say, terrible teenage things on Netflix. And I don't even realize they're adapted from a book until you get to the credits at the end or something. Or yeah. sometimes there's a detail, like, I know I keep harping on with uh, for a long for the ride far more than it is <laughs> warrants, <laughs> but there was a scene where they, they are in some, I forget, some sort of shop and there's like a secret door at the back that leads through to a, a secret pie shop where they have like a slice of pumpkin pie or something. And I thought, this, amazing. this I mean, firstly, amazing. Secondly, what's your business model if you're relying on people knowing the secret door? <laughs> and thirdly, that's when I was like, oh, this must be adapted from a novel because that's a sort of whimsical you know, sideline that you can get into a novel that they would adapt because they enjoyed it. But I think if you're writing a film script, you probably wouldn't bother with that because it didn't 
didn't add anything to the the book except you know quirky to the narrative except quirkiness yeah interesting uh one example of where i watched the film first and it's very different from the book and both are great is mary poppins oh so, yeah and obviously we all grew up watching mary poppins probably and i loved yes. it uh, loved singing along it taught me that women should have the vote there you go oh, um, <laughs> uh, and in fact when i uh lived with various women one of whom was like oh, i don't tend to bother voting my housemate and i sung sister suffragette to her until she <laughs> agreed to vote so. um, <laughs> and yeah obviously not obviously but i still love mary poffins but anyone who's read the book knows that the cheery you know rosy cheeked friendly uh julie andrews is not at all like the the woman in the book who the story is quite similar but she's very um cross and distant and often accuses the children of lying and, and yeah i think it's a remarkable uh remarkably unpleasant character for a book <laughs> boy, uh, and you still love her for some reason but that yeah they dispense with that when they disnified it yeah probably for the best probably but i think yeah now most people encountering the book think of it as being jarringly different from the film where obviously the book came first but yeah. I, i'd imagine there aren't that many people who read the book first now no, I mean, I don't think I've ever read it, actually. It's great. And there's six of them, five five or six of them. But, um, yeah. yeah, they are very different. Prepare yourself to feel um, much less warm and fuzzy. <laughs> My dear, maybe I won't. <laughs> so, um, well, just before we finish, maybe what, do you have like a favourite and least favourite adaptation? Um... I have, um, I love the Romola Gary and Johnny Lee Miller version of Emma. Interesting. Um, I know that's a controversial mm. choice for some people, but I love yeah, it. Yeah, with me, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, that was an ITV series that was done about 10 years ago, I think. Um, I really enjoyed that. And it was, for me, got everything right. Um, and least favourite, probably the Kira Knightley version of Pride and Prejudice, which just pisses me off every time. I, well, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. That is trash, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it's, yeah, my favourite, it's going to be boring to say the Pride and Prejudice with Colin Firth and Jennifer Ely. So I'm, It's not boring. Yeah, I mean, it's just perfect. It's hard to beat. But I will also put in a mention in for Cranford, also done by BBC. Oh, yes, lovely. Which was, I mean, they, they did mix it with, um, I can't remember, one of the, that short story. Uh, I forget about the Doctor. All the stuff for the Doctor comes from a different story, but uh, it's you know such an immaculate cast. You've got you do then Shirley Atkins. Is Maggie Smith in it? I feel like she's in it as well. Maybe probably. I mean, Imelda Staunton. Yeah. Like, all these wonderful people, and it's done perfectly. Um, and then Lee Saver, not because I. Um, hmm. I was thinking that's a stage adaptation. That's not good. Uh, I've got a complete blank on my least favourite. I'm going to join you. The, the, I really hate the 2005 Pride of Prejudice film. <laughs> <laughs> I think the adaptation that is best in terms of the distance between how bad the book is and how good the film is, is The Devil Wears Prada. The book is so bad. Oh, right. Yeah, no, that is a good film. I've never read the book. was never um, tempted to. Do not bother. It's so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's her name? Lauren Weisberg. Or I forget. I'll put it in the notes. But no one should find out. Don't read it. Okay. <laughs> Um, oh, I guess keep listing them. But Mrs. Dalloway film also is a great example why you should never try and film. Oh, I've Wolf novels. Even, yeah, I've not seen yeah. it. It's Vanessa Redgrave who is wonderful, 
um, as an actor, as a person, she seems terrible. But as a, you know, as an actor, <laughs> great. But you'd, it's just not a book you can film. Why would you? No. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So interior. Um, so yeah. Uh, should you watch the book before you watch the film? Um, I think most cases, yes. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. There that was go. always a, pretty much a foregone conclusion, wasn't well, it? it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, we have a question for the middle from someone who on Twitter who I only know by the term book boss. Don't know what their real name is, unless their real name is book boss, in which case very prescient of their parents. <laughs> and they said, I'm tired of reviews that describe a book as Dickensian. I would love to hear you discuss what the descriptor means. Oh, interesting. Which is an interesting question. Um, well, I suppose Dickensian would be large cast of characters. Um with you know humorous names um <laughs> with a kind of melodrama and um stereotypical behaviors and um not a lot of subtlety to the to the story possibly set in london but i think it has to be and to have that kind of sense of colorfulness about it would be my description what about you yeah interesting yeah because i my first thought was a large cast of characters and like not and sort of heightened reality not going for naturalism um i think when people when people use it i think they're often talking about social ills which is right. not how i would use it but because i i've talked on the podcast before about how it annoys me when adaptations or people talk about dickens as though he were only talking about social ills it makes it sound very serious whereas his books are so funny but i don't think when people say dickensian they necessarily mean funny i think i think it's probably used yeah more for that large jumble of eccentric characters mm. um or something set near the thames in victorian times probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um I, I mean book boss says they're tired of seeing it i'm not sure how often i do see it in reviews but i also i guess i don't read that many reviews do you see it coming up a lot I think people tend to, to kind of uh, brand every novel set in the 19th century as yes. don't they? It's like, you know, it's such a Dickensian feel to it. I'm like, well, it's just set in the 19th century. I yeah. mean, <laughs> um, but I think there's a lot of, there's been quite a lot of um, neo-Victorian literature in the last few years that have done that whole kind of, you know, fog and, um, you know, people wandering around murkily in the city mm. and that kind of thing. And I think you've got a bit of that. Um, to it as well and I think also when you've got that contrast between working class characters upper class characters people rubbing alongside each other and um, within the same space it, it's got that sort of sense of teeming a place teeming with life and there being secrets and whatever beneath the surface but I do think it's a lazy descriptor yeah I get annoyed when I mean I don't think Dickensian is an example of this but I do get annoyed when people use an author's name but they're only meaning one book so when you ever see kafka-esque it just means like the trial it never means <laughs> someone's turned into a bug no <laughs> uh, i can't think of any other examples but um i think like i guess like chauvian are always talking about the social realism plays rather than you know the more yeah. fr frothy ones or yeah people are more than one thing mm. <laughs> Well, I don't know if we've really answered that question, but there you go, book boss. There's <laughs> so, some thoughts. Uh, we've tried to, anyway. We did our best. Maybe they're referring to Monica Dickens. Who knows? Yeah. Probably not. Probably but not. But they should. She's great. Right. Two books about hotels mm. where 
bad things happen. Bad things do happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, are you okay to introduce Grand Canyon? And I am. The feast? Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. I will, I'll kick off. The Feast by Margaret Kennedy has recently become a bit of a bestseller, I think, in re- republishing with this beautiful cover republished mm. by Faber. Um, I think it's Faber. Uh, it's the actual feast only takes place right towards the end of this novel, which uh, takes place in a hotel where there are an enormous number of characters. I had to make notes about who they all were. Uh, <laughs> but broadly, we've got the guests and the, we've got the hotel proprietor family and we've got the people in the village. And they're all interacting. They're uh, mostly getting on each other's nerves. And we know right at the outset in, in uh, page... Uh, yeah, the first chapter or prologue or something tells us that the hotel has collapsed and killed. Well, no, Earth has collapsed onto the hotel from the from the cliffs over the top, um, and everyone in the hotel has died. But we also know that there are survivors who weren't in the hotel at the time of the collapse. What we don't know going into the novel is which characters are which. Mm-hmm. It's set in 1947 in Cornwall, um, and yeah, a lot of a lot of. A lot of characters. I think I counted 25 main characters. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. I, read it, I read it within like 48 hours, so I managed to yeah. keep it. I foolishly together. started it in uh, April before I did my novella a day in May and put it on hold whilst I read a- another 31 books and then went back <laughs> to it. So not the ideal way to read a book with that many characters. No. Uh, and yeah, so can you, can you introduce us to Grand Canyon? I will say uh, we won't do spoilers at this point but we probably will need to spoil what happens halfway through the book later in the episode yes because unfortunately there is a very big twist which you can't not mention really um yes so this is set it was written during world war ii and it's a novella it's it's not a novella actually it's a lie but it is very short um and it's set in a sort of dystopian world but contemporary to when uh well actually no a bit past so it's I guess it's like it's alternate set. history, isn't it, really? Yeah, it's but an alternate, alternate present. Yeah. Alternate present. So it's sort of set in the 40s and it's imagining that Germany has won World War II. Um, and it's all very vague on the details of what happened, but people have had to leave Europe, basically. So um, we're in a hotel that's on the Grand Canyon in America where we've got this disparate group of, of people who've come from different places and who are sort of living in that some people are living in the hotel as exiles um and there's also a group of american college students who are also there um and the uh the first half of the book is very much a sort of social comedy of well i wouldn't call it a comedy actually but a social uh, observation of people living mm-hmm. in a hotel um and then the second half things uh change quite dramatically and the characters end up in the canyon itself yes. so yeah yeah so what did you um let's talk about the feast first what yeah. did you what did you like about it yeah so i i was a little trepidatious going into it because i've read i think three other books by mark kennedy i read together and apart uh, the forgotten smile and lucy carmichael um unless yes I get Lucy Carmichael and Lucy Gayhart mixed up. Lucy Gayhart's mm-hmm. by by um, Willa Cathay. Willa Cathay, yes. Yeah. Uh, and I I'd quite enjoyed the Forgotten Smile. I'd found the other two quite tedious and quite hard to get through. And this was the opposite. I mean, I did break in the middle for a month, but <laughs> but when I was reading it, I found it really pacey. It's got quite short chapters. You're always going between different groups of characters, and so I was going through it really fast. So I really enjoyed. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed the pace of it. I enjoyed the uh, the feel of this clash of cultures. So you've got some of the guests 
are very privileged. Some of them uh, are not. Some of them are very daredevil. Some of them are very timid. Uh, you've got infighting between the staff. Like there's a servant, not a servant, I guess, but you know, a maid, I guess, from the from the village, and then someone who works in the hotel who really didn't get on. You've got various love interests around the outside. Um, I did find that some of the characters I really didn't know anything about them. So there's these two families of children. Um, sort of a, a wilder, more adventurous bunch and then a, a more timid bunch. And one of the more adventurous bunch called Hebe, she's quite distinct. The other three were basically the same as each other, it might to me. <laughs> and then the family of timid children were all exactly, I couldn't tell anything different between them. Was that true for you? Could you tell, were they distinct to you? Yeah, they were quite distinct to me, but I see what you mean. Um, I thought I found them quite interesting, actually, the children, because they're, they were quite key in the end, weren't they? They were, yeah. Yeah. Uh, thought, there you go. No, I was going to say, I thought, I thought actually I was quite impressed by how um, she managed to give so many characters individual personalities and to make you interested and care about them. Um, you know, obviously there were some characters you just hated straight away. Um, but I was, as we've sort of got towards the end, I was getting like genuinely nervous about who was going to end up being dead. Because I was like, I don't want him to be this person. I don't want him to be this person. So um, I, I really thought that that construction was really clever to have mm, mm. that sort of set up at the beginning and for you to then get to know the characters and then have that anxiety over who it would end up being once I'd sort of worked out that it was an allegory I was like oh okay I can kind of figure out who it's going to be now based on that um Ooh. what do you think what was an allegory for well it's the seven deadly sins isn't it the seven characters who die represent one of the deadly sins oh my gosh I missed that completely ah, <laughs> yeah. how clever yeah yeah, now I need to rethink the whole book. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't say that overtly, does it? You're just really clever. Well, you know, I'm an English teacher. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's. I thought once it was very clever, and I liked the metaphor. Um, and you know, what's interesting is that it's it's a it's kind of it's a compelling story, but it's also like a mystery story, and um, but it's also a compelling emotional story about these characters because people learn and grow and change over the course of the novel as well so it's not like you're reading a kind of an Agatha Christie where it's just all plot it's um you are encouraged to get involved with the lives of the characters and the lives of the community that they live in um and to see their kind of flaws and there's that well, I can't remember her name but the who ends up um, oh no, I can't say because it'll be a thing. But <laughs> the, the woman who's having a terrible time with her husband, and she develops that connection with the children. Yeah, um, I can't remember either. But yeah. No, but she's a beautiful, beautifully written character, and that's just a really heartbreaking story. Um, and during that holiday, she learns to break away from her husband and to, to take on this kind of pers- personal sense of, you know responsibility for her life and to realize you know what well, I'm unhappy and if anything's going to change I'm going to have to change it and I just thought that was really um really beautiful actually I got quite emotionally involved with it mm. um and well you know I could tell you a sign of a good book is like, I gave it to my mum to read and um my dad is now reading it and my dad doesn't really read so oh, wow. Yeah, and um, he's annoyed because he told me the other day that the book has fallen apart. Um, and he was like, you know, I've had to order another copy. It's just not good enough. And I was like, well, <laughs> I'll let Favour and Favour know. Yeah, of course. Um, they get in touch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. So, yeah, Grand Canyon. What did you like about Grand Canyon? <sighs> Do you know what? I didn't like it at all, Simon. Okay. Tell- why? Um. Well, 
the first half I was sort of interested by the concept I was like okay I, I was first of all I was trying to work out what was happening because the kind of it's not given to you at the beginning the world that we're in you have to sort of work it out so once I'd worked out okay right okay so basically the whole world has been pretty much destroyed and Nazi Germany is now in charge of everywhere um but then I was a bit like I don't know why the people are in this place or why I'm supposed to care about these people in this particular point in time um and I felt like the characters were too thinly drawn in that first half for me to really connect with them and then mm-hmm. you're, you're suddenly in the second half where you're in this completely different situation. Shall we, are we going to say or not? Um, yeah. So if you want to avoid spoilers, then don't listen, I guess, the rest of this episode. But uh, yeah, <laughs> go, go, go for it. Right. So in the second half, they so the end of the first half of the book, the, the hotel is destroyed in a in a bombing. Uh, well, no, the, the manager sets fire to it because he's a secret Nazi. Um and it's yes, then, it does explode as well, doesn't it? And it explodes. And yeah, it, yeah. The, the idea is that, that happens to uh, show the German bombers where to come, basically, because they're the um, the desert around the Grand Canyon is being used as a place for the air bases and whatever for the American army. Say so they want to come and destroy it, so um, they leave the hotel and go down into the the guests go to go down into the, the Grand Canyon. And they are killed in a blast as they go into it, but they're they aren't they don't realise that they're dead because they're still alive, because their souls have lived on. Um and then they go and live down in the canyon as dead people, but they're alive. It was all very odd. And then it was all just full of philosophy and long winded kind of <laughs> things about Vita Sackville West's vision of what the future could be, and I was just like, I'm bored. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you thought about it. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't love it. I'm going to be honest. I thought it, but I also found it really interesting and inventive. So it was a bit of a mix. So uh, I agree the characters are quite thin. Although I did find the relationship between Mrs. Temple and Mr. Dale quite interesting. Who these, mm. Mr. Dale's quite sort of, I guess, obstreperous. And Mrs. Temple also just wants to be left alone. But they they, they sort of find a meeting of minds in disliking yeah. other people i guess um and i did enjoy their conversations between them that were sort of i guess a comedy of manners but without the manners maybe i don't know um and that was interesting the nazi stuff was a bit histrionic <laughs> but it's you know 1942 that that's forgivable and then i i actually loved the twist that they turned out to be dead and i can't i'm trying to find and i can't find it that um it's it's very subtly told in in the narrative where something like she just puts in a end of a paragraph, but since they had all died earlier that day, you know dot dot dot, um, and they've all sort of been restored. They've all you know people who the blind person can see the um, yeah. people someone who needs an operation doesn't need it anymore or something. The only thing has died is the uh, cockatoo or parakeet or parrot or yes, whatever. Yes, because he has no soul. Yeah, he has no soul. Yeah. Um, and that's the sort of idea in a novel that I do really enjoy. I don't know quite what the point of it was. I just went with it, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I just didn't see the point of it. And I thought, you know what, this would have been so much more interesting if they'd had to actually just survive in the canyon. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I do think it was an odd decision for her to put the alternate history and this metaphysical idea together because they seem quite different novels, really, unless she's trying to join them in some sort of point about the war. But if she does, it's not very obvious. Um, no, I mean, I just didn't get it. I was like, I don't get why you've written this. It's like this literally, this book literally makes no sense. <laughs> I do remember at a conference, I was talking to someone who was an expert in Beta Cypher West, 
And I said, oh, I've just oh. read Grand Canyon. And they, their response was, why? <laughs> it's like, well, you, you've made your life's work about her, and yet you still... <laughs> um, I think the reason that I suggested it, partly partly because it's weirdly similar to The Feast in some ways, whilst being a very mm. different novel. But uh, but I think it's just so unexpected for Vita Sefer West, because we've done... We've talked about The the Air and um, the one oh, about Passion the old lady. Spent. Oh, Passion Sven, Yeah. yeah. And I've read quite a lot of her books, and this one is so different, both in plot and in and in writing. It's much like it's not really character driven, as you say. It is more, I guess, theoretical. Con- it's concept driven, I think. Yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, very different from the feast in that way. So they're both about hotels that get destroyed and people who die. But yeah, that the feast is entirely about character. Uh, the the fact that the hotel is collapses or you know that people die is almost incidental to the plot it's just like a sort of damocles i guess that, yeah. that heightens the the uh the experience of getting to know these people whereas grand canyon is yeah just about ideas yeah yeah i mean it's just i don't i, I was just like oh i mean I, I genuinely wouldn't recommend that people bother to read it um or I, I'm like, oh, I'll never get that morning back of my life. <laughs> but, um, it was, I mean, it was really, it was beautifully written. I will give it that. But and I think there was a kernel of a really interesting idea in there. But somebody needed to come in and be like, listen, why don't we? And also, I'm like, I can't believe you published this during the war. Like, people needed an uplift. Because <laughs> you read the ebook, did you? Did you get the little author's note at the beginning? Yes, but it yeah. came at the end. That they, they put oh, the author's okay. note at the end, which I was actually grateful for because I think I would. Have, so yes, it ends with such a supposition. So the fact that Germany have uh, invaded and, and conquered England or the UK, uh, such a supposition is by no means intended as a prophecy, and indeed, but indeed bears no relation at all to my own views as to the outcome of the present war. Mm-hmm. So, great. Um, I'm I'm grateful the author's note was at the beginning because otherwise, as you say, it's very hard to work out what what's going on, what the world building is. Because I because I read this first, I knew. Why they were why they were in this hotel? What had happened? But yeah, it's quite hard to pick up those pieces if you don't know that. Yeah, it is, um, and it's I mean, it's just a bit of an ill-conceived experiment, really. I think should have been a, a sort of you know something that she worked on as a little idea and then put in a drawer. <laughs> Very damning. Yeah. Um, have you read other things by Margaret Kennedy? I haven't actually. No, that's I mean I've I'm, I'm always seeing the constant nymph everywhere, but I've never mm-hmm. read it. I would yeah. be interested to, to read more. I, I did enjoy the feast, but I mean, I have heard also that she's a bit hit and miss. So, yeah, I think I, mean, I was talking to someone who said that Lucy Carmichael was their favourite after the feast, and I thought it was terrible. So, yeah, it, it, I think she is. <laughs> um, yeah, it is hit and miss, as you say. And the constant nymph was, you know, this massive bestseller in the twenties, wasn't it? But um, yeah, I have not read that one. I think I've got it, but I think it's quite different. I think it's more well salacious for 1920s yeah one wonders whether it would uh, carry on to the present day really but there we are we can maybe we'll have yeah. a look at, yeah <laughs> um so do you th- so obviously you don't seem like you had the same issue with me of the number of characters in the feast were you happy with do you think you needed everyone yeah i think they all had a role to play and i really enjoyed that the kind of um kind of yeah, the different range of people, different backgrounds, different social backgrounds, different intellectual backgrounds, different reasons for being there, different class backgrounds. I mean, I just thought it was a really lovely tapestry of, of different people who, you know, some people are able to kind of, you know, connect with others and go beyond those boundaries. Other people aren't. 
and it's really interesting i thought it was a very well observed um portrait of human behavior really yeah i always like an author in a book so anna the, the sort of yeah trashy author i guess i enjoyed her a lot and her yeah um younger toy boy yeah um it was quite fun uh, I did find, and this is again more spoilers, that at the end I had not worked out who died. I, it's like, I know it's people who aren't here, but I can't remember who all the people are and therefore I can't remember which people are not present at the scene because you, you basically just have to rem- remember who is not at the feast, don't you? Yes, you do. Well, the thing is, you shouldn't have left it so long between readings. Uh, I shouldn't. I mean, I do always say to people, when you've got a novel with that many characters in it, you have to read it quickly. Otherwise, it's never gonna you're never going to keep up with it all. Um, and... I do think once you've got that, that it's that metaphor, then you can work out who, because then you know who, who each of the characters, like you know who's sloth, you know who's greed, you know who's... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I would read it. I mean, it is long. It's, what, 500 pages? But, yeah, um, but it flies by. Oh, yeah, it does. It, it, yeah. So maybe, maybe I will reread it and not read 31 books in between. Starting yeah, and finishing it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, there are other characters in the Grand Canyon we've not mentioned, but I, I mean, I, re- I did re- reread it a few weeks ago, but I cannot remember a single other person who was in this book. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not a it's not a book that it doesn't have great characterization, and I mean, it's I just don't understand why it was ever published, to be honest. Yeah, I think it would have made a really interesting short story. Maybe that's yes. what it should have been. Yeah. Uh, whereas the feast definitely would, could not have been a short story. No. <laughs> so much going on. Yeah. Um, well, I mean. It's going to be really difficult to work out what we're both going to choose. But your book's decision-making, let's make it formal. The Feast or Grand Canyon? The Feast. Yes, I will also go with The Feast. <laughs> and the cover is very beautiful. The cover is stunning. And it's got these little folds in it that makes me think it must have been like a poster or something that they've reclaimed. Uh, yes, cover. I think it, it's probably a train, a uh, vintage train advertising yeah. poster, advertising the joys of Cornwall. Um, and I do think that's what's, I mean, it's a, it's a great book, really enjoyable book, but I also think like it's sold because the cover is so good. Yeah. It's, also very good ho- yeah. it's a very good holiday book as well, I would yeah. say. Yeah, as long as you're not staying in a hotel underneath. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I was in Devon but... when I read it, but I wasn't staying near a cliff, so I was okay. <laughs> uh, great. So in the next episode, as Rachel mentioned, we'll be doing Embry Heath by Stella Gibbons, mm-hmm. along with another Stella Gibbons, uh, The Bachelor. So not two of her best well-known ones, but two that have been reprinted by Vintage uh, in yeah. recent years. Uh, you can find all the books and authors mentioned at stuckinabook.com. You can find Rachel's blog, such <laughs> such as it is, well, no, at booksofsnob.wordpress.com. It's been a while, but we have yeah. hope. that we, You have to write about the feast. Yeah. Um, and that's probably everything. So, yeah, we'll see you next time. Yeah, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.